Hello, I'm sports broadcaster and presenter Paul Persick, and I'm taking you on a journey through sporting events that have stood the test of time. Welcome to Paul Persick Presents. Welcome to Series 1, Episode 3. This episode is about one nation, South Africa. After 22 years of sporting isolation from 1970, they made a grand return to the international cricket fold in the 1992 World Cup. And what a journey it was for the 14 players in the South African squad. One of those was Captain Kepler Vessels, who would play 24 tests for Australia during the apartheid era. He was a perfect guest to chat to on the show about his and his team's two-month journey round Australasia that had just about everything. And that chat begins right now. Kepler Vessels, welcome to Paul Persick Presents. Uh, thanks very much. Now, your experience in cricket has been, you know, remembered worldwide, you know, from your early days while playing test cricket for Australia uh, and then returning to, uh, to South Africa. We'll start at the start. What was it like to wear the, the baggy green cap in the, in the early days, in the 80s through to uh, 86, playing for Australia under some great players? Yeah, I've always said that that was uh, the most um, enjoyable and, and certainly from a peer batting point of view, probably the most satisfying time uh, of my career. So I uh, thoroughly enjoyed playing for Queensland in that, area, in that era and then also for Australia. Uh, it, it really was a great experience. So um, that, that was probably the, the most gratifying time of my career. So we fast forward after you'd left uh, the Australian national team six years later, 1991-92, South Africa had only returned to the international fold the previous October to play a series against uh, India. What was it like to, to finally see your home nation returning to, to the international fold? And if I, can, if I believe you were under the captaincy of Clive Rice. Yeah, it was totally unexpected. We were busy with a uh, with some domestic matches, uh, and, and, and literally on the Sunday evening, halfway through those games, uh, it was announced that uh, we were back in the international fold and that we'd be travelling to to India the following week. So it, it really was um, um, unexpected, as I said. Um, fortunately, I'd been to India before with the Australian side, so from my point of view, I knew exactly what uh, what was waiting for us. So the tour. Was a week-long one. We flew in in a in a in the same aeroplane internationally and domestically from venue to venue. Played three matches, and uh, and it was done and dusted. So uh, again, it, it it was a a good way to get back into the international arena. Uh, we had uh, matches in Calcutta, in front of a full a full house in Delhi, and uh, and also in Gwalior. So uh, yeah, that was that was a good experience, and certainly from a South African point of view, for the players who hadn't played internationally. Uh, it was a real eye-opener for them. What was it like, you know, being led uh, by Clive Rice? What, what was he like as a captain throughout that series? Oh, he's a really good player, Clive Rice, and a very experienced campaigner, having played a lot of county cricket overseas for Nottinghamshire, played in World Series cricket as well. Um, so he was always going to do a good job. The only thing from his point of view, I guess, uh, was that by then I think he was already about 43 years old, so he was coming to the end of his career. Um, but yeah, he, he, he was a, a good a good quality all-rounder, one of the best in the world at the time, and certainly a good, strong, positive leader. 
And of course, that positively led to some great cricket from uh, from the South African team in what was a really good uh, series. Now, we go to February of 1992, South Africa officially back in international fold. You jetted off to Australia and, uh, and New Zealand for the 1992 World Cup. And out of those 14 players, you were the only one to have had uh, test and one-day experience. Uh, what was the early expectations like of the side? And what, when was that moment when it was announced that you were going to captain the South African team for that tournament? Yeah, coming back from India, we, we were back in South Africa for a few months um, playing domestic cricket. So then the selectors and, and the South African Cricket Board then had an opportunity to structure uh, the whole program, so to speak. And uh, I think it was in, in the January. It was not It was probably about uh, probably about six weeks out, I think, from the World Cup where they selected, first of all, the squad of of 20, which I think you had to name at that time, and then uh, they appointed me as captain. So I never um, expected it. I didn't really seek the job, but uh, but once I got it, uh, I was determined to, to make a success of it. Uh, again, it was an advantage for me, having played in Australia and knowing what to expect, still knowing all the opposition teams, having played against most of the players that was going to compete in that 92 World Cup. So, um, yeah, so, so I had an advantage there. But correct me if I'm wrong, you did have previous World Cup experience back in 83 when you were playing for Australia? Yeah, I did. Um, we, we lost in the quarterfinal against, um, against India. That was in the UK. So that was a disappointing tournament for Australia. It was a little bit uh, turbulent at the time. We had a few pullouts um, before the tournament started, so we weren't necessarily at full strength. So it, it, it was a disappointing World Cup for us. But uh, yeah, again, as I said, uh, at least I had that World Cup experience. But did it feel different, you know, to come back to Australia and New, Ze- uh, and New Zealand this time playing for South Africa in what what turned out to be quite a, a special and, and innovative World Cup in the context of world cricket? Well, it did. Um, I, I mean, I was apprehensive initially, particularly when I, when I realised our first match was going to be against Australia uh, in Sydney. And uh, most of the players played for Australia at that time. I played with them uh, for Australia. So I was a little bit apprehensive how that was going to go. Um, but then again, you know, I knew it would be competitive, it would be tough. Um, the advantage that we had was we, that Australia, the Australian team under Alan Border, they hadn't seen any of our players with the exception myself. So they didn't really know um, what they were up against, what to expect. So um, that was a big advantage uh, for us. And that first game in Sydney, uh, it couldn't have gone any better. So it was a, a sellout crowd. Um, we played really well. Things went for us. And, uh, you know, against all odds, I guess, we, we beat Australia. They were favoured to win the tournament. They came off a very strong one-day uh, round before that 92 World Cup started. So it was a great start for us. We'll get into more of the, the Australian match and some of the other matches a little bit later. But, of course, the build-up was so intense and and. You know, so much excitement for South Africa, you know, not just yourself as captain, but also the fellow players that were about to experience one-day international World Cup cricket at that level in Australian and New Zealand shores for the first time. Let's talk about a few of them. Alan Donald, who was a, a very ferocious pace bowler. Yeah, Alan uh, played for Warwickshire in England a lot. So so he'd been overseas. So he'd played against um, some of the players that we were going to come up against uh, in new, particularly the English English players very well. So he had some uh, international experience, not not in the test or, or, or a little bit in the one day event with those three games in India, but he played a lot of cricket. So he um, he was very much somebody that uh, that we relied on, um, as you as you 
rightly say he was a ferocious uh, pace bowler and uh, struggled a little bit during that World Cup to control the, the white ball. But, uh, you know, he did put in some uh, some good performances during the event as well. So uh, it was good to have him as a spearhead. And most of them, of course, making his one-day debut as well, along with uh, a spectacular fielder by the name of Jonty Rhodes. Yeah, Jonty was uh, a, a very young player at that time, uh, slightly surprised selection. Um, it was a bold move by the selectors to uh, to pick him. And the workout for him really was uh, the making of him. It put him on the map. Um, he grabbed the imagination of uh, certainly the South African public and, and cricket followers all around the world with his, uh, his exploits in the field. And uh, he, had, uh, he had a very good tournament. He certainly did amongst uh, all other South African players. Now, it's uh, 26th of February 1992. After a couple of warm-up games, you jet off to the SCG for your first game, as we, as you mentioned, against Australia. But there are a lot of stories riding on that match, and also during that match as well. You would uh, had, uh, Australia had won the toss and elected to bat, and we get into the first ball, and you, you, your side could not have imagined a perfect start well, well, when Alan Donald bowled to Jeff Marsh. Well, exactly. It was quite unbelievable. I mean, Alan got that first ball uh, absolutely right. And, um, you know, it's history. And, and we all know that Jeff uh, you know, got a huge nick and the ball deflected a long way. And, and Dave Richardson caught it in front of first slip. Uh, so it, it, it was just going to be an obvious out. But um, it was given not out. So from that point of view, it, it ruffled the feathers a little bit of, uh, of, of the team. We had to regroup. We had to reset and just stay calm to get back into it. We uh, For the next few overs, um, we were quite expensive. But then, um, fortunately, after about uh, sort of the 10th or the 15th over, we really settled into a good pattern. Uh, it was Richard Smell who bowled a superb spell and, and really got us Australia under pressure, and we got wickets at, re- at regular intervals. So we always thought, or we always backed ourselves to chase down the total that we had to. At Fifth Quarter Tees, we're devoted to helping clubs access their own clubware and merchandise throughout the season. No more worrying about that start of season mass purchase. Of 100 club jumpers that take two years to sell and have to be stored in a club room cupboard. Instead, club coaches, members and supporters can have 24-7 access to all clubware and merchandise. From jumpers and t-shirts to backpacks and mugs. And all it takes is a click of a button. Fifth Quarter Tees making life easier for clubs and volunteers. Did the dismissal of Alan Border, first ball for a duck by uh, by Caper, really change the momentum in your favour? Because there was a couple of steady partnerships going. Yeah, there was. Um, there was that initial one. I think David Boone was involved maybe with, with Jeff Marsh in, in a partnership. And then we, we got a couple of wickets. And then getting Alan out, First ball was always going to be a huge confidence boost um, for us, and uh, it, it came at, 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 at the perfect time where Australia couldn't really accelerate. They had to then rebuild, and then we kept getting wickets, um, as I said, at regular intervals. So, um, yeah, his, his wicket was uh, was clearly going to be it was a big boost for us. And to make it even better, your top order, of course, yourself, Hudson, and uh, Peter Kirsten had had no trouble in chasing down the total. What was it like to? finally get that win on the board and beat Australia, who were the defending champions in Sydney in their own backyard on your very first match? Yeah, look, it was awesome. 
awesome for me to open and to um, to complete the job and uh, and see it through and get the winning round. So so that was really good. Um, Andrew Hudson batted well, so we had a good start. So that was good. And then Peter Kirsten, in his own right, was a, a very experienced player. So he played overseas for Derbyshire, played a lot of cricket in South Africa. He was sort of a battle-hardened campaigner and uh, good under those circumstances and knew exactly what he had to do and how to do it. So uh, from our point of view, getting that nine-wicket uh, win over what you rightly say was uh, was a favourite team to win the competition, and the and the previous winner was a was a great start to our campaign. Now there were two interesting pictures that came out of that match. You know, upon doing uh, research for this episode, there was one where a couple of the players and a large section of South African fans that made their way from South Africa to the SCG they had South Africa unbeaten 1970-1992, and there was also yeah. one. Um, you're shaking hands and patting Dean Jones on, on the back. That was really quite a symbol of two things. One, uh, South Africa were back and they were here to stay. And also, there was a, a good, healthy respect between between the two teams, considering largely that that you had you know played with them uh, in in a previous era. Yeah, look, absolutely. I think um, from an Australian point of view, we always know that Australia play their cricket hard, and they certainly did on that day as well. But uh, South Africa have a similar reputation, so. Before that match, um, one of the things that worked really well for us is I got Alan Jones to come and talk to our team before that game, and he was absolutely brilliant in the in the pre-match and in the lead-up to the game. So I think that he um, gave the uh, the players a lot of confidence and, and stressed the fact that you know you have to look Australia in the eye and take them on, and, and I think they took that on board. So um, you know we came out pretty strongly and pretty aggressively as well, and so did they. But um, you know after the game. It, it was the way it should be. Um, as you say, there was a lot of mutual respect, and uh, and also, as I said, I played with probably uh, probably every one of the of the Australian players who who was in the team. So um, yeah, it, it was a strange experience, but um, from a pure South African point of view, uh, a history making one. And um, well, people back in South Africa really, after all those years of isolation, I mean, they rejoiced in uh, in that first win for sure. And that picture really uh, is worth a thousand words for many, many years to come. Then, in your next match, uh, they jet off to Eden Park in Auckland to take on New Zealand, and they were a side that also, like South Africa, in some ways, were a bit of an unknown. They'd only just been beaten by England in the Test series. And they caused another upset as well, like South Africa. They beat Australia as well. So what was it like to take on this New Zealand side, led by another great captain in Martin Crow at, uh, at Eden Park? Yeah, I'm always having a crack at Ian Smith, who, um, who was the keeper and played for New Zealand on the commentary circuit when I saw him after that. Because what happened was that our game in Sydney uh, it was on the Tuesday evening and we flew to New Zealand on the Wednesday. So we'd been in Australia for four weeks and when we got to New Zealand, um, knowing New Zealand conditions and the way they play and what they do, I, I knew the importance of us getting straight out, getting some practice time and, and doing all that sort of thing. But of course, when we got there, we just got denied. We didn't have a, we had one sort of practice because we just weren't given facilities, weren't given anything. So um, by the time that that game came along, we went from the, the bouncy, quick surfaces in Australia to that slow sort of mud surface um, in Auckland, and uh, New Zealand had a very good game plan. They, um, you know, they attacked the first 15 overs. They opened the bowling with the spinner, and we, we just weren't acclimatised for that game. So they they won. They won comfortably, and it wasn't back to the drawing board for us. But um, you know, we were under pressure then. We went and lost. Then we lost the next game in a close one to um, to Sri Lanka. 
then the following game in Christchurch, we got a surface against the West Indies that really suited us, and we beat them and beat them comfortably, and our campaign then was really on track. Yeah, two uh, two uh, losses in a row that really seemed to you know you know affect the team in, in in some way because obviously you know losing to New Zealand and then Sri Lanka, who at that time. You know, with, with the outsider side, the minnow side, it would have really made the West Indies game at Lancaster Park more, more sort of like a final in, in, in one way. Yeah, it was a do-or-die game for us. Uh, we knew that um, we had to win that one. But as I said, fortunately, in that game, the surface was tailor-made for our quick bowlers. Um, it, it, the ball swung around a lot. It seemed a lot. And, uh, and, uh, and we bowled really well. So um, from that point of view, that win... We then went back to Australia with two wins, two losses, and we were still right in the mix. Now, that game against New Zealand uh, at Eden Park had one positive in the batting, at least. Peter Kirsten, who had a really good tournament um, in the 1992, scoring 90. Uh, that, was that, that was the real only contribution in that game, because as you said there, the wickets were very slow, much acclimatised to New Zealand bowlers in that first innings. When New Zealand came out to bat, was it, was it all about getting those wickets really, really early and putting New, Zealand, New Zealand's batsmen under pressure? Yeah, it was, and they had, they had sort of a game plan where Mark Greatbatch came in and played shots and tried to launch their their, their innings early on, on on those sort of low, slow surfaces, which um, which worked well for them. Uh, we just didn't have enough to work with um, from a bowling point of view. The surface was flat. Our, our quicker bowlers were neutralised under those sort of conditions. So, and, and we just didn't get enough runs. So, you know, they, they stuck to that game plan all the way through the tournament, and that's what got them through to the semi. What about that game at Sri Lanka um, just uh, three days later at the Basin Reserve in, in Wellington? Of course, you had to bat first again and all out for 195. And I was reading um, a few articles before uh, this interview has been recorded about you know how South Africa had that knack of, of playing a little bit too conservative, according to some reports, uh, because there was, wasn't a lot of runs being scored by, uh, by South Africa in those two games, and there was a lot of you know, attention surrounded the tactics of South Africa. You didn't really buy into a lot of that, didn't you? No, look, we knew, we knew what we could do and what we couldn't do. We did actually make a change in that game by trying to open with Adrian Caper and giving him a licence to play some shots, but he just couldn't get out the blocks. Uh, again, we were still battling with the lack of pace in the surfaces. Um, Sri Lanka at that time had that sort of attack where they gave you no pace to work with. So, um, again, we couldn't really flow. Our innings never got, got a flow in it. And um, in the end... Um, I think we had them seven down. So, so we had our opportunities to win. We, we bowled a few too many, uh, too many wides uh, in that game. We gave away too many extras. But um, yeah, so under, after losing that one, we were definitely under the pump. But another positive as well from that game was Alan Donald with another three wickets. He really got into some good form early on. Yeah, he bowled. Uh, he bowled quickly there, even on a slow surface. Yeah, he really got it through. Um, got 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 a couple of key wickets. So uh, yeah, he did. He bowled well. Now we mentioned, of course, the game against the West Indies in Christchurch. That was also quite a, a significant match up in, in world cricket in general because while you were playing with Australia in the 80s, the West Indies were the team. They were the powerful team of that era with the likes of Haynes, Richardson, Gordon Greenwich uh, well beforehand, Vivian Richards before retiring in, in 1991 and they also had some new emerging talent too. Uh, what was it like to, to play against the West Indies in, in both those eras? Well, they were much stronger uh, in the earlier one that you're talking about. When I was playing for Australia against them, they had a far, they had a far superior team uh, to the one that we played in Christchurch. So they were still, still pretty decent and, and pretty good with some good players in it. But they were nowhere near the powerhouse that they were 
um, during the the mid eighties. Uh, they just had a phenomenal side then with um, you know quick bowlers as as we all remember the Marshall holding Garner uh, attack. And then those superb bats when you're talking about the Richards, Clive Lloyd, all, all those sort of guys. So they'd lost a few of them. They were still pretty good. They had, had Kirby Ambrose, obviously, who was their spearhead, and Desmond Haynes still playing. So um, they still had some world-class players, but they just didn't have the, the all-around depth and brilliance uh, that they had during the mid-'80s. And again, you know, despite scoring 200 in that game, as, as you mentioned, uh, at Lancaster Park, there again, Peter Kirsten provided that uh, positive with 56. And then the bowling... It would be safe to say that it was one of South Africa's best bowling performances in in that World Cup, along with the game against uh, Australia, where it really just all clicked together, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. But but also um, South African bowlers, they sort of brought up under those conditions. So uh, the conditions were tailor-made for them. So I knew that um, it, it may have, to some people, looked a bit light when we got just over 200. But uh, from my point of view, I thought we, we had a real chance of doing well, because knowing that West Indian players generally struggle with a moving ball, and there was they have a few technical issues against that that sort of bowling. Uh, I knew we, we had a good chance, so we bowled really well, we caught very well, and um, yeah, in the end, it was a comfortable win and uh, a real confidence boost. Of course, he went to uh, returned to Australia with two wins and two losses, and in contention for a spot in the four. Then the game against Pakistan in Brisbane, and uh, we'll talk about one big moment we'll get into a little bit later. It was sort of like New Zealand conditions uh, in this game, you know, very overcast, a little bit windy, and of course rain, which at that time in that World Cup was always going to break a game wide open one way or the other because of the, the then rain rule. Well, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it was a difficult game. It was a very close game all the way through. Um, we sort of batted first under over, overcast conditions, as you mentioned, and uh, Wally Macca bowled, um, bowled pretty well. But, uh, again, we sort of scrapped together uh, a, a decent enough um, decent enough total. And then when the, the rain sort of started to come and, and we got wickets and the game got close, um, I'm sure you're alluding to that uh, John T. Rose run-out that, uh, that really turned the game on its head and turned it in our favour. So um, that was a, it was a good bowling performance, but it was a brilliant fielding performance to win us that game. Because before that run-out, it was Inzamam al-Haq and Imran Khan, uh, by memory, that put together what was a really good partnership and there was a, the, the pressure of trying to get one of those batsmen out. Yeah, they got them right back into the game. So we needed to get one of them out. And, uh, you know, Inzamam, we all know, is not the greatest runner between wickets and, and, and never really was during his career. So I guess if, um, even though that was his young days, it was sort of his breakthrough, breakthrough tournament. But, um, yeah, we, we always had a chance of, of doing something like that. And with a fielding unit that we had that was probably the best in the competition, um, you know, we were always at some point going to um, get a couple of runouts at key moments. Did you have a, a close view of the Johnny Rhodes run-out? I did. Um, I was sort of uh, over at mid-on, so I had a, a almost a side-on view of it because I was backing up um, where he was going to, if he, if he decided to throw, where he was going to throw. But he was so quick and so agile um, that he, his just reaction time, I mean, people just don't, didn't, I, until you got to know him, you just didn't know how, how well and how quickly he reacted. So, um you know, in the end, um, it was a very, very close run thing. But, um, you know, by diving and, and breaking the stumps, he, he probably did the right thing. 
absolutely shattered them more than just uh, knocked the stumps over. That is some moment that will always live in the, in the test of time and always a, a very good moment for photographers to uh, to capture, and it was just at the right moment. Of course, you'd go on and win that game in in a rain-affected game. Then you jet off to the nation's capital as well to uh, play Zimbabwe yeah. in front of 9,000 yeah. fans. What was the experience like to, to finally play there? Correct me if I'm wrong, you'd never played there before. Um, yes, I can't. Probably no. I, I, I would say I probably hadn't played there before. Uh, I don't recall playing there uh, with Queensland North Australia. So yeah, that probably was the first one. I think we might have had a warm-up game. Yeah, we did. We had a warm-up game prior to the World Cup against Pakistan. So we'd been there once before. Um, yeah, so it was Zimbabwe um, at that time. Zimbabwe had a had a competitive team, but we were getting better all the time. We had those two wins behind us. Um, we bowled first on a, on a pitch that was a little bit moist and green and in the end um, yeah got got through and, and, and got across the line quite comfortably so we started to get on a bit of a roll there three wins in a row put us sort of right in contention for where we needed to be it was perfect conditions for bowling uh, that day wasn't it it was in the morning session uh, again um, ideally suited to our scene based attack and uh, and the bowlers bowl well they, uh, they just get the pressure on. Zimbabwe uh, had a couple of dangerous players, but um, they also didn't have quite the depth. Um, and we knew that. So we knew if we got key wickets, uh, we were going to be in business. Now, your form as well, individually, had taken a bit of a hit in the uh, three matches beforehand where you didn't score above 15. Then you really started to, you know, get right back into it, scored a very good 70. You felt, you know, qu- quite at ease in that match, playing some really good shots. Yeah, I started to um, I started to sort of find my feet. I played well in Australia in that first game, and then I got a forty in New Zealand against Sri Lanka. But it was a bit of a struggling, struggling forty, and then um, didn't get runs against the West Indies or, or Pakistan. And then so there against um, uh, Zimbabwe, I felt comfortable and uh, I felt in control. So um, yeah, my feet are starting to move pretty well, and um, yeah, so that was good for me to spend some time in the middle and uh, make a contribution to uh, to getting us across uh, to getting it. Us a win. Morale and the team starting to uh, improve again after that, that rough patch of two straight losses before that next game against England? Yeah, because we could sort of then see what we what we needed to do to, to get through to the semi-final. And I mean, nobody really expected us to do that. So we had the England game left, we had India left. So we knew if we won both, we'd definitely be in. If we won one out of the two remaining ones, we'd be, we'd be close. So, uh, you know, we, we knew exactly what we had to do. And you touched on the fact that, you know, every game was important because the format for that World Cup was all in a single group. No split groups, each team playing each other once. What, what, did, you, what did you think of, of that format for 92? In fact, that you get to play every one of them and if you like finish in the top four, at least win uh, seven or eight games, you deserve to be in a semi-final. Well, I think it's the best format. I've, I've always said that all the way through. I think you play each other once, the top four teams go through the semi-final. It doesn't get much um, much better than that. It wasn't as long a competition as subsequent World Cups. So I think it was a great format. And um, I think it was fair. I think the top four teams who played the best cricket throughout the period got through to uh, to the semi-final. So, uh, yeah, I think it was an excellent format. Only fitting that they used it again, of course, last year in that in that amazing tournament. And then, of course, England at the MCG. Now, after playing Australia and New Zealand, who had been ranked before the tournament as the sides that were really going to make a big statement, England, with a side full of experience, did you consider them as, as the biggest test in the World Cup? Um, I always thought, because I played against them so often and against their players so often, 
And because they play so much one-day cricket in England, it was always going to be a hard game. I didn't necessarily think that they were the best team at the World Cup because a couple of their players had sort of come to the end of their run. Somebody like Ian Botham was still a little bit dangerous with the, with the bat, but from the bowling point of view, he lost pace. I didn't feel that their attack was as strong as some of the England attacks had been seen before. They clearly had players like Alan Lamb, who were like very good one-day players, Graham Hick um, at the time. So they're always going to be a formidable team. You're never going to have an easy game against them. So, yeah, I knew, I knew it would be tough. Um, but unfortunately, the rain sort of, you know, played against or came against us a little bit there. We, we batted reasonably well, probably didn't quite get enough runs. But then when, when the ball got wet, in the evening session, it was pretty difficult to defend at the MCG. Now, in that batting innings, of course, you got into a really good opening partnership with uh, with Andrew Hudson of 150-odd. There was, there was something where, you know, you inclined Hudson to play more attacking cricket while you were playing, you know, more of that mid-conservative role. You really wanted him to score some big runs in that game. Yeah, he, he, he was always good early on because he played his shots. He, he was a boundary hitter, and that was sort of the strategy that because of the experience, I guess, that I had, I hold the team or try and hold the batting together. He could play shots, play a little bit more, um, more aggressively. And then we had Peter Kirsten to come in if things uh, went wrong. And then down the order, we had a few shot makers like Adrian Cape, who unfortunately didn't have a great tournament for us, but he was a dangerous player, could hit the ball well. Uh, so that was the um, that was the strategy. And uh, also in those days, uh, because of the different rules that applied, the scores weren't as big. I mean, if you were, if you got 220, 240. You, uh, you were going to win more than you lose. So um, it was just a very different way. The restrictions were different. Um, the, the, the boundaries were, were a lot bigger. So it was a totally different um, type of one-day strategy, if you like, or, or the way the game was played to what it is played today. Did you still think even after the rain had stopped and even the ball was starting to get a little bit wet, did you still think that there was some chance? Because often the, the then most productive overs rule would provide a real big disadvantage to the side uh, batting second. Yeah, I did, but uh, and, and we certainly were. We were in with a chance, but if memory serves me correctly, I think it was Neil Fairbrother that came in and played really well and, um, and sort of won the game for mm. them at the back end. So... Um, um, but it, it wasn't a, the type of performance that, that I was disappointed in. I thought that, you know, bearing uh, everything that had taken place uh, throughout the day and, and coming off three wins, I thought it was a solid performance. And it could have gone either way. And, you know, if it didn't rain, you don't know what would have happened. But they played well to, 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 to win it. So um, it was all then going to be down to our game against India and Adelaide. But did you also think at the end of that, if you, you and, uh, and England had again clash in a semi-final or even a final, would you think that the same level of excitement and tension would apply You know, if the game was again played at Melbourne to this time a crowd of 90,000? Oh, I think so. Um, I, I think that you know any game, when it gets to the latter part of a, uh, of a World Cup event, um, will provide, provide that sort of tension, provide that sort of drama. And generally speaking, both sides are playing well to be in the running. So you're always going to have a game that turns on, on one or two overs or one or two performances. So, uh, yeah, definitely. At Fifth Quarter Tees, we're devoted to helping clubs access their own club wear and merchandise throughout the season. No more worrying about that start of season mass purchase. Of 100 club jumpers that take two years to sell and have to be stored in a club room cupboard. 
Instead, club coaches, members, and supporters can have 24-7 access to all club wear and merchandise, from jumpers and t-shirts to backpacks and mugs, and all it takes is a click of a button. Fifth Quarter Teams, making life easier for clubs and volunteers. Now, lucky uh, the the results uh, from other teams did favour you a little bit because obviously you had Australia and the West Indies scrambling for a spot in the four. And keep in mind, Australia had only just been beaten by Pakistan in Perth. And that gave you guys a bit of a leeway to that match against India in Adelaide. But uh, it was a bit of a frustrating start to the day with rain all day. It was an unexpected. I mean, at that time in Adelaide as well, it, it, it actually was a must-win game for us um, against India. Uh, we, had, we knew how to win to qualify. So it got reduced uh, in the end to a 30-over uh, game. Um, they played well. They got 180, which in those days in 30 overs was a big total. Um, I then made a decision to change the batting order. I, I didn't open when down in the middle order, and that worked. Peter Kirsten went up the order, played well, uh, and, and it got pretty close. Um, right at the, at the back end, Hunter Crini and myself were there to, to win it, but we, went it right, we won it right sort of in the last over, I think. And, um, but it was a great day. I mean, that, that just meant that in, in, in fact, we were probably a little bit guilty of being satisfied with, with making the semi-final like this. It was such a relief to, to come to the tournament and uh, against all odds make the semi-final that, um, we're, yeah, we were wrapped. We are absolutely wrapped. Must have been huge celebrations in Adelaide that night knowing that uh, that you'd made the semi-final in, uh, in South Africa's first World Cup. I'm sure I can't, to be honest with you, I can't remember the celebration so much. I can just remember the release. But, um, yeah, I'm sure a few of the boys would have, uh, because we had about a week after that, because then we also had the political drama, the referendum taking place in South Africa, and if a vote was no, we would have to go home. So we had to sit and wait. And then we had to sit and wait to see who we were playing. And, and, and all. So it was quite an eventful week, but it was a week between that match and the semi. It was, it was an unnerving week, as, as you mentioned, because there was that political drama. Was it, just, was it frustrating just having to sit there and wait whether you were actually going to play in the semi-final at all? Well, yeah, I mean, as you can imagine, you know, you've done all this work and, and gone through all the emotion to, to get to a semi-final and then you've got no control over what happens um, politically. It's just a case of sitting and waiting what the uh, result of that vote was going to be. And I, and I do think that um, the performance and, and the excitement of being back on the international sporting scene and, and, and South African teams doing well, I think that contributed to um, the vote going the way that it did. But... Um, Fortunately, from our point of view, you know it was all good, and uh, and and once we once that was done, we had I think three or four days to um, to prepare for that uh, semi against England. Now, because an overcast day over there in Sydney against England, it was your second encounter between the two sides in about seven or eight days, and then at the toss, decided to bowl and take a, take a real gamble against uh, against the conditions because you thought that the ball was going to swing a little bit. Tell us uh, about that. Well, it actually did. Um, on the morning of that game, it was raining. It was raining a lot in Sydney. And um, and by the time we got there, I mean, I'd played in Sydney so many times. I knew that pitch um, and the conditions really well. Mm. So I had no hesitation in bowling first. And, and in fact, it was the one time in the tournament that our bowling let us down because the conditions, the ball was moving, it was swinging. Um, I caught Graham Hick on north off a no ball. 
uh, at first slip. Um, we made a lot of mistakes, we bowled a lot of wide, and they got a lot more runs um, than they should have. So, although at the end of the day, and we'll come to that a bit later, although at the end of the day, you know, the weather probably um, was, the, um, was the deciding factor, um, we didn't play as well, we didn't bowl as well as um, as we could have, and we should have restricted them, I reckon, to a score of around probably 180, 200. Because you only because you only gave them like forty five overs in in that day, forty seven I think. Um, over eight was slow. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on with the wet ball. Mm. Um, it, it was also a different rule then, where you know if if you if there a lot of time had elapsed, um, that overs that you bowled, you bowled, and that was it. So you also had to sort of, from a captain's point of view, you had to sort of look at what the dangers were of actually trying to get in the fifty. How many? think he can see it or he'd be better off just bowling the 47 a lot of stuff going on a lot of stuff happening so um yeah it, it, it wasn't an easy day to say the least we know hindsight's a wonderful thing if if the 40 overs uh, the 50 overs i should say had been bowled where would have yeah. england had uh, had made in that vicinity well i think in the end they made about 231 i think um uh, i think around that that score, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, anything could have happened, I guess. But we're probably looking down the barrel of two fifty, two sixty, maybe. Um, but then the way it all transpired, we were always in the game. Mm. And um, what happened was that during the day, um, when the drizzle came, I went to the umpires and I said, "Look, the ball's getting wet. I don't mind you not taking us off, but as long as you're consistent tonight, if it starts to rain again, um, that's fine." Well, of course, as soon as it started raining in the evening, we went off. And once we went off, because of the rain rule at the time, if you were batting second, you were always under the pump. So once we started going off, I knew we were in trouble. Uh, and, and the thing was that England had bowled out all their key bowlers at that time, and we had a good partnership going. So going from needing 22 or 13 with Brian McMillan and Dave Richardson at the crease, we had a real chance. Um, but then once we went off then... Um, it was always, we were gone. And then it gone. amounted to 22 off a ball. Yeah, it went to tw- uh, 22 of six and then 22 of one. So, yeah. And then after that, the, the Duckworth Lewis, of course, came in. Had the Duckworth Lewis applied that night, we were won by three runs. So, you know, it was a, it was a close game. Uh, it was a sad, sad exit for us. Um, you know, you have to work long and hard to get to a World Cup final and, and, and subsequently South Africa haven't been able to do that. So, um, yeah, it was a sad end to what was like a really good tournament for us. It was a, it was a real great journey for for your guys uh, in that '92 World Cup. You know, a lot of excitement, a lot of build up. You know, exiting sporting isolation, and then you put in all these grand statements by beating Australia and then also going into the final four and beating all other powerful nations. And you know, it, it's always a sad thing, isn't it? You know, for it to come down to just. A single ball off, I think it was like an 11 or 12 minute rain delay, and then to come to that scenario, it, it, did it feel sort of anticlimactic? Yeah, it did. I, I think what happened was that once we we had tremendous crowd support in Sydney that night, and um, I think it, it, it felt anticlimactic, but also very emotional. But we didn't quite realise the impact of the whole tournament until we got home, because I. I still remember we had to go to the West Indies straight after that on a on a tour. Of, uh, we were going to be home for a week and to go to West Indies. So we were all quite keen to get home. But then um, Ali Bakker said to us, when you get home, you have to stay in Johannesburg for a, for a day and a half. And, I, and we were sort of complaining a little bit. And, and But we didn't realise the impact. So we, when, when we arrived back, 
um, well, the whole airport was was filled with people, and and the excitement was just uh, absolutely incredible. So, so we didn't realise any of that the impact that it, that that tournament had at home, and I think it really at a time where the political situation was very tense, it brought a lot of it brought the country together, which uh, which was uh, which was fantastic. So, um, uh, it, although we lost in the semi final, I think the impact that the tournament had on the country at that time. Um, can never be underestimated. That scene at the airport must have felt like that you'd won the thing because there were so many people. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, when we walked into the arrivals area, um, it was unbelievable. And um, and that continued all the way through the next day. We, we went through Johannesburg to, through parade to the streets and stuff. So, um, yeah, it, it really was good and it was very good for the country. Did you did you see the final between uh, Pakistan and England on the on that Sunday? Yeah, we did. Uh by then, you sort of, you know, yeah, but I saw, saw bits of it, but I, I didn't watch the whole thing. But, um, and subsequent to that, you know, saw some some of the, the good stuff that Wazim Akram did and, and the delivery city bold and, and all that sort of thing. So, um, but yeah, didn't, um, didn't sit and watch the whole game, no. What about um, years later, you know, South Africa and the 1992 World Cup have been so revered all these years later, so much so that a, an author and a good mate of mine who I spoke to in, in the very first episode, Jonathan Northall, uh, came up to you and asked you to, to write the forward for his book, Ruling the World. Uh, what, what did it feel like to uh, have a little part in that book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, it's, a, it's a terrific honour. Uh, and I just think that... Yeah, so many years have elapsed since um, since that tournament, but um, in South Africa's history, it, it, it really was a, a, a terrific period because it was sort of coincided with Nelson Mandela's release from prison, um, South Africa coming out of isolation into... Um, it was a real honeymoon period um, in South Africa's history. There was a lot of optimism. The country was really positive. Um, things were going really well. And uh, I think just the whole... Um, that 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 time around that event um, was pretty special. Yeah, and the 1992 World Cup will always have a, a great legacy, not just because of all the stories that have surrounded you know Pakistan and and hosting in Australia and New Zealand the innovations, but also the the, the story of South Africa. I think South Africa's story is so fascinating, and I think people from generation to generation will still you know hold South Africa's story in in the 92 World Cup as. Uh, in their hearts, you know, not just in South Africa at the at the homeland, but also, of course, all around the world, because it was significant for world cricket. Yeah, it, it was really special. I think it was twenty one years um, or twenty years since South Africa had been in isolation, and um, you know they've always they're always competitive. So um, I think world cricket probably at that time needed South Africa to come back, uh, and they came back at a good time, and. Um, for everybody concerned, um, yeah, you're right. Um, it, it, it was uh, a, a moment in cricketing history that, um, that that's a long time ago now, but that was very special. Where, where, where does your heart sit these days? You know, Australia or South Africa or a little bit of both because you had the, the great honour of playing for both countries? Yeah, it's always, it was very difficult. I think that's what I said to you earlier. It, it, it was easier to, to look back on my career at Australia with enjoyment because... All I had to worry about was basically playing well for Australia and opening the batting and scoring runs. I didn't have all the other pressures that the captaincy, the political situation, all those things brought to the table when when I when I played for South Africa. So I always say that probably Australia was my most enjoyable time of my career, but the South African side of it was, um, you know, was was, it was very rewarding. Um, it was very pressurised. Probably took a 
a year or two off my career, although by then I was already uh, well into my 30s. Um, I found it. I found it tough going. Uh, um, you know, I I can't say that it was anything else than, than than hard because it was going back with an inexperienced team into a world that South Africa hadn't seen for two decades. There was a, a lot of political stuff happening. There were a lot of outside pressures. So um, difficult, full of pressure, but um, very rewarding. Great perspective, Kepler, and it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you come on the show and, and chat about your story and, and your experiences in the, this first series all about uh, the 1992 World Cup. Thanks so much for your time, mate. Stay safe during this time, and uh, we wish you all the best. You too. Only a pleasure. Paul Persick Presents is a series written, edited, and presented by me, Paul Persick. If you would like to check out Paul Persick Presents social media content, you can go onto the show pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Episodes are available on SoundCloud, Wooshka, Podbean, Anchor FM, and on iHeartRadio. If you have a sporting event that you would like to see as a future series of Paul Persick Presents, then comment on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Paul Persick Presents is a Persick Spooner production.